Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,234 of the universe's leading and only audio newspaper for a visual world. I am Andy Zaltzman, here in the second half of the solar year. It is the 22nd of June, 2022, as we record. So yesterday was midsummer. Uh, for well, I mean, a, demo- a democratic majority of the world, it is it is midsummer, and uh, you know I respect democracy, and people in the southern hemisphere are frankly wrong. So, are we at the halfway point of the solar year, or simply a metaphorical tipping point into a spiral of the unavoidable encroachment of darkness, or has it merely just been the one time of the f-ing year that your f-ing henge that you spent all that money on actually f-ing works? History <laughs> will be the judge. Um, joining me uh, to see in the second half of the 2022 solar year, I'm joined by Nish Kumar and Neil Delamere. Uh, hello, both of you. Uh, how, how was your midsummer? Hello, Andy. Hello, Neil. Hello, Chris. Hello, Buglers. Uh, first things first, uh, I, uh, I mean, it's very hot in my house. I'd say it's f***ing boiling. And so, uh, for the first time, I am bugling trouserless. <laughs> and I'm interested to know whether that allows me to fly through the bullshit in a more aerodynamic... I'm still wearing underpants. All right. But I'll be honest with you, it was a close-run thing. <laughs> it was it was a very close-run thing. As it is, I'm, it, it, I'm wearing a T-shirt and underpants, and I'm interested to know whether this allows me to fly through the bullshit... Uh, more aerodynamically uh, prepared for a fast movement. Well, this is uh, a massive coincidence because I watched John Cena's new uh, show last night and Bugling Trouserless was John Cena's signature wrestling move. Also, I did actually go to a midsummer festival. Uh, I uh, bugle, uh, old school buglers will be familiar that just every so often I get a job that nobody really understands what it is, but it allows me to do some wild and cool shit. And so I'm filming a travel program at the moment with uh, Josh Widdicombe because it's legally required that I film the travel show with one white comedian. Uh, so <laughs> last time it was Joel Domit, this time uh, it's Josh Widdicombe. And I, I was in Northern Ireland and I met some mummers. Uh, who were kind of uh, keepers of ancient Celtic storytelling, and they wear wicker baskets over their head. And we yeah. did, uh, we sort of participated in a. Uh, it wasn't actually on the day, but a sort of cod solstice festival. And they were such nice people, and it was a really incredible experience. But what it always reminds me of is, man, white people are into some weird shit. Like historically, <laughs> historically, white people are into some weird and wild. Shit, you're a lot weirder than you allow yourselves to be given credit for. <laughs> well, it's it's time for me to reveal that that mummers thing has only existed since 2012. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a particularly poor uh, Trapatoni-led Republic of Ireland team, and the North didn't get into it. Or maybe they did that, yeah. No, it was 2016. So now we just do random stuff like that. <laughs> you were the first person we've ever tried it out on. I can't believe it actually worked. I, I like the idea that increasingly people are trying to come up with traditions that could feature on British comedian travel shows. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that the cod solstice um, there, which is a tri- 
slightly different to the land-based solstice that we have called <laughs> celebrated. I think f- um, five days later, due to it taking a little longer for the seas to warm up. <laughs> Wasn't there a big, is- a big row between the UK and Iceland about when the cod solstice actually was? <laughs> I think there was, and they they use henges, uh, ironically, made of um, uh, fried chip potatoes. Um, <laughs> As always, the section of the bugle is going straight in the bin, and well, this weekend the Glastonbury Festival is back, returning for the first time in three years after taking a couple of years off. I can't remember why. I think it was because everyone had already heard all the music. <laughs> uh, but uh, we look at some of the uh, less uh, high-profile festivals that people will be pitching their tents at around the world this summer, including the giant parsnip. Uh, the Root Vegetable Theme Festival is back, held this year at the Flobston Manor in West Gruntshire. Uh, music <laughs> acts include the Spuds, hip-hop brass band crossover sensations Betty Beats and the Tuba Tubers, mash metalers, <laughs> potatoes of the Hecatomb, and the controversial agrarian religion rockers, the Cole Rabbis. The cabaret tent sees the agriculture culture wars character at provocateur Jerry Salem, the anti-woke artichoke, alongside always-threatening Guy Con. <laughs> And burlesque troupe, the Rara Radishes, plus uh, a quick turn from Sad Clown Funyun the Onion. And don't miss the Horseradish Dressage Show, that is simply sensational. Uh, also, uh, another <laughs> festival that uh, we look ahead to is Shh, the self proclaimed world's <laughs> quietest music festival, uh, which promises, quite literally, to rock you to sleep. The headline slots this year are filled by American anti thrash stadium stillers, Somnales, <laughs> Subjudicates, the rising stars of the dull drum and bass scene, uh, and the 1960s soul legend, P.P. Arnold, finally, finally living up to her initials. Uh, also, uh, catnap rapper Pause for Thought appears in the Hypno Hop Tent. And don't miss the long awaited reunion of folk duo Muffles and Hush with support slots from Tribute Acts Tranquilizer Carthy and Mogga Don McLean. There's the uh, 12 bar snooze blue star soothing Jay Snorkins. And of course, S Club 7 are back. Turns out the S stood for slumber. Uh, Shh is, of course, in competition with the Lullaby by Loser Festival. But it just shows what a market there is for this kind of stuff in our hectic, caffeine-addled, overworked world. And, of course, uh, there's Atwood stock coming up uh, in a couple of weekends' time. That's a festival based on the works of Margaret Atwood, which uh, possibly, possibly a little bit harrowing. I'd, I'd avoid it for you. That section in the bin... We are recording, as I said, on the 22nd of June. Tomorrow, 23rd of June, is the anniversary of a bad day in the life of Henry Hudson, the North America exploration star. In 1611, on the 23rd of June, uh, his mutinous crew set him adrift in an open boat with his son and seven other crew members in Hudson Bay in Canada. Um, Now, I imagine there were some pretty awkward conversations on that boat between Hudson, his son, <laughs> and those seven other crew members, possibly involving the words, well, it's f***ing named after you, you should know your f***ing way out of it. Uh, but they were never heard from again. Uh, it was pre-Instagram days, of course. It's not entirely clear what happened. There was no 24-hour TV news uh, either in those days. But, uh, you know, it may also have involved the words, boss, by any chance. Could you name at least some geographical feature after someone who isn't you. This lack of closure over what exactly happened to Hudson does leave open the tantalising possibility that he might still be alive uh, because Hudson Bay is pretty big so it's entirely feasible that they've just been living low possibly out of fear of having to explain to their bosses at the East India Company exactly how things went so badly wrong um, and let's not forget you know, they're probably living on quite a healthy diet mostly <laughs> fish um, 
and uh, so it's possible. You know, I mean, that would be. I think that would be a good story if, you know, four hundred and eleven years on, Henry Hudson <laughs> turned up <laughs> wherever he was going. Sorry, do do you need us in this at all? Uh, not really. <laughs> not not uh, not yet. Well, actually, we, we do now because we are moving on to. <laughs> Top story this week. Democracy around the world is causing uh, trouble in quite a lot of places, um, particularly France. Um, it's been a bad election this week for uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, just two months after he retained the presidency, he's lost control of the French National Assembly, the FNAC, after an election uh, which left his centrist coalition um, at the mercy of the left and right wing, uh, the left and right wings of French politics, with but which both made gains. Um... Uh, Neil, you are um, our uh, European democracy uh, correspondent, um, as you are. As, as you are Irish, you are still in Europe. Uh, whereas, of course, Britain is uh, heroically, gloriously free of that benighted continent. Um, uh, how did you enjoy the, the French election this week? Well, I can't believe that on this show we're going to be talking about a rail strike, a barrister strike, a health work strike and a teacher strike. And it's not in the French part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bugle switching things up since 2005. Um, yeah, so this is a very interesting story because Le Pen's seats, I think this is the most interesting part of it. Le Pen's seats from the far right have gone from eight to over 80, 89 seats. So that is a serious result for her and some coincidence because if you look at that on a graph... It goes up at the same angle that some of her friends hold their arms. <laughs> it's a tenfold increase, right? So if, if that rate of growth continues, she's going to have about 900 of the 577 available seats at the next election, which is a serious achievement. Macron doesn't know what he's doing at this stage because, like you said, he won the presidency but lost his majority. So the French people have spoken and what they've said is we want you to be the president and when you are... Do nothing. You must do <laughs> nothing whatsoever. It's like being elected a pope, and then we're like, someone said, but we're gonna we're gonna phase out mass. So basically, <laughs> you're gonna be waving and kissing tarmac. That's that's pretty much all you're gonna do. Uh, so he has to approach every single uh, bill, bill by bill, by the looks of things, or possibly, um, the Republicans, uh, the Conservatives, are being described as kingmakers. Which in France is <laughs> not necessarily what you'd want. Uh, you will be in power, but we will decapitate your entire family and seize your property. So swings and roundabouts. Um, but I, I have enjoyed it immensely watching from afar. Fina is the perfect uh, word for the situation because... Macron has got a nutshot from the French electorate, and Fanat <laughs> is the perfect noise to describe what you make when you get hit in the nuts. It's <laughs> Fanat! <laughs> um, several French newspapers uh, this morning have uh, described France as being ungovernable. And uh, I guess I would, uh, I would say, plus ça change, mes amis. Plus ça change. <laughs> this, this, yeah, the most concerning thing about all of this uh, is that uh, Marine Le Pen and her far-right National Rally Party uh, were in a good mood. And listen, very little positive happens when Nazis are in good moods. I don't know if we have to say alleged Nazis, but I'll leave that up to Chris. But what, <laughs> what I will say is, if you see, if you walk down the street and you see a chuckling Nazi, very little good has happened. <laughs> Very little good has happened in that situation. You see a big grin on Hitler's face. Nothing positive has happened for wider society. 
the, the um, I mean, it's fair yeah. to say France is not entirely content uh, with itself uh, at the moment. Uh, the, um, Have you been watching Allo Allo and the policeman <laughs> in particular? <laughs> Um, this this episode of the bugle is sponsored by the Pink Panther. The, uh, <laughs> the turnout was forty six percent. Oh man! <laughs> and, and this was the fourth round of national elections this year. So I mean, a bit of pencil fatigue is clearly setting in. Yeah. Um. In in France. Um, yeah. The new uh, prime minister is going to be whoever left left the sugar babes last. <laughs> That gets very complex philosophically, I think. Um, uh, a, a professor of constitutional law, Dominique Rousseau, uh, was quoted as saying, um, these five years for Mr Macron will be all about negotiations and compromise. And you might be forgiven for thinking, isn't that what all politics should be about in a grown-up world of cooperation for the common good? But that is not how democracy <laughs> that's not how democracy works, not how it should work. Negotiations and compromise are fatal signs of weakness. Um and as you said, uh, th- th- this idea that France was going to be ungovernable, uh, the uh, economy minister, Bruno Le Maire, um, said it was not going to be ungovernable, but said it would require a lot of imagination. And could this be what global politics needs? <laughs> this kind of surrealism and whimsical flights of fancy in high office. Magic benches for all. A secret portal somewhere in the Dordogne that transports the people of France to a land of giant butterflies that lay eggs made of foie gras, of singing cheeses and of 1980s rugby. This could be a brighter future that humanity has been crying out for. Vote Dali! <laughs> vote Dali and vote often. Preferably whilst writing your vote with a courgette. <laughs> A melting yeah. courgette. <laughs> yeah, vote Dali. When? Uh, we've no way of actually measuring time. <laughs> I'm oh, offended. Man, I'm, I missed the election because my clock melted. <laughs> he want, He's never going to get any of the things he wants through. He wants it to reti- raise the retirement age from 60, 62 to 65. And I have to say, I thought most people thought that that was about balancing the books. I think it's his mates down the pub going, you're shagging a pensioner. And he's like, not for long. <laughs> um, one, of the, uh, one of the positive stories. Uh, so another block of seats, a uh, big block of seats was won by the new uh, leftist coalition. Uh, they won 131 seats and they are, refer- they are calling themselves noops, which is... Not a great name because it does sound like slang for a sexually transmitted disease. Although we do have to remember this is France and that is seen as a positive thing. Uh, it stands for the New Ecological and Social Popular Union. And I uh, think that it's uh, very welcome that they've won a lot of seats. But that is the kind of opinion that normally leads to me being described as a communist in the Daily Mail. Uh, but uh, one of the... Any opinion of, leads to that description. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like bread. Oh, come <laughs> I, I uh, one of the MPs uh, who's been elected uh, is Rachel Kiki, uh, who's been elected uh, and who has vowed to dance in the assembly uh, if she succeeded in winning that. Which I am hoping that she is going to be held to that standard. Uh, but anyway, she defeated the, the former sports minister. She was actually a former hotel chambermaid, uh, and she said that uh, she hopes this will give other chambermaids the confidence not to undervalue themselves. Now, first of all, we need to nip this in the bud. Everybody knows that if you have experience of actually doing a job in the real world, 
That has no place in politics. That is not the route we want. We want people to come into politics either because their parents were politicians or because they went to an elite university and then worked for a think tank that has investigated the possibility of burning the poor for fuel. That is the true route into politics. Not this experience of actually doing a working class job. I mean, bur- burning the poor for fuel, I think, is a rather outdated idea, though, isn't it? I mean, surely now we'd sort of, you know, try and mulch them down and, and um, <laughs> you do it in a more environmentally friendly way. Well, when I think will we I... finally investigate zero carbon solutions for using <laughs> the poor as fuel? <laughs> if, if you want to rig a vote, though, and it's a close vote, it can't be that difficult to, to stop the chamber, the woman who used to be the chambermaid, and I think she led the chambermaid's union, didn't she? Yeah. Um, coming into the actual chamber, like a small do not disturb sign on the outside <laughs> of the French National Assembly and boom, you get your bill passed. Good thinking. <laughs> Moving across the Atlantic, uh, Colombia has elected its first leftist president, Gustavo Petro. He beat off the challenge of Rodolfo Hernandez, who was described as a gaff-prone media mogul. Um, well done, <laughs> Colombia, for at least paying some attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> a bullet well dodged, or at least a bullet well delayed. Um, follows a, a recent trend of win, wins. It follows a recent trend of wins for left-wing candidates uh, in South and Central America, in Peru, Chile, and Honduras. Petro ran on a pro-environment, anti-inequality ticket, shamelessly trying to ingratiate himself with the future, and he <laughs> tweeted after his victory. Today is a party for the people. And he said these words, may so many sufferings be cushioned in the joy that today floods the heart of the homeland. And that was an unusually poetic response <laughs> to an election victory compared with Boris Johnson just singing, I'm horny, horny, horny. horny. Um, <laughs> who wants a job? Who wants a job? <laughs> Compared to Boris Johnson's attempts to change the national anthem to Sex Bomb by Tom Jones. So I carry on. It's a pretty extraordinary. It's a pretty extraordinary thing to see Colombia be faced with the prospect of a uh, nationalist gaff-prone demagogue with funny hair and go, nah. <laughs> and you know why? It's because the Colombians are fucking gutless. Have the courage. <laughs> to tank your country for comedy value. <laughs> Britain did it, America did it, and now Colombia's like, ooh, no, we're going to elect someone that wants to make people's lives better. You f***ing pussies. <laughs> Colombia is a nation of pussies, and you can quote me on that. And I'm pretty sure there's never been any negative connotations for anyone for saying bad things about Colombia or Colombians. <laughs> I love the way this was reported, uh, that Colombia has, has elected a former guerrilla to government. Oh, my God. And everybody in Northern Ireland is going, oh, how very 1990s of you. <laughs> oh, how very quaint of you. We're way ahead of the curve on that. I looked, at, I looked this up. He was in M19. Now, I'm not in sh- entirely sure of his, of his CV. I think he, he went E17, um, <laughs> Combat 18, M19, <laughs> then he got a free tr- transfer to FC20, and now he works in Forever 21. But one way or the other, he was at M19. And he takes over at a time, and I quote, where Colombia is struggling with low credit ratings, a large trade deficit, and a national debt which is predicted to end the year at 56.5% of GDP. 56.5% of GDP! 
Can I just, can I second niches your pussies? You'll be grand. At one point when the IMF came into Ireland, 125% of GDP. Imagine, imagine getting sunburned to 125% of your body. That's all of you and a quarter of somebody else. Like, your brother didn't even go on holidays and he just wakes up on a couch with one big red leg going, what the fuck is that? I don't know how Petro didn't, like, how it wasn't even a bigger gap because he was against, um, the, it was Hernandez, I think, wasn't it? And yeah. he was a lunatic. He called Hitler a great German thinker. Can you imagine being that wrong? Hitler was uh, Austrian. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then to compound that error, he tried to get out of it by saying, I actually meant Albert Einstein. And I would say if you can't tell the difference between Einstein and Hitler, that should probably disqualify you from most conversations about global leadership. <laughs> However, it probably does guarantee you a lucrative Fox News slot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I mean, where could you possibly not be able to tell that? Tell that difference. That the, the, the Einstein-Hitler problem. Are you, <laughs> Andy, are you pitching for a new game show? Einstein or Hitler? <laughs> Unless you're just trying to put proof. I mean, that's... who said the following? E equals MC squared. And who said the other following? They didn't like my painting, so now I'm going to kill everybody. Wow. I reckon that game show could run for a thousand years. <laughs> this I, format's I, got legs. Only series, only series three, though, to be fair. Um, I... I... <laughs> I would love to go to Colombia because I met a brilliant Colombian man in the taxi woods. I was sharing a, an Uber in America and I got into the, in beside this guy and I, I said, where are you from? And he goes, Colombia. And I went, oh, I love Colombia. Well, from what I know of it, like Valderrama, loved him, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Shakira, I'd love to go to Colombia. And he said, where are you from? And I said, Ireland. And there was a pause and he went, I love your butter. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? And he went, it's addictive. And I was like... <laughs> Of all the things, surely not the most addictive thing that a man from Bogota could possibly come <laughs> up with. <laughs> no one has ever smuggled a pound of Kerrygold up their hole through customs. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, <laughs> Brexit has made things tough. There. <laughs> Think about a pound of butter. If you're going to smuggle lightning up your hole, it's, it slides right up there. <laughs> I don't know Family what condition show. it's in at the other end, though. I yeah. I, I, I'm not sure any butter is good enough to be tainted by ass. Well, uh, Kerrygold, clearly. <laughs> His point was welcomed by the uh, US Secretary of State, uh, who said that it was uh, a good sign that Colombia had been able to participate in a fair and free election. And let me tell you, a left-wing leader winning power in South and Central America has not always been welcomed by the US <laughs> government. I, if, if I was Petro, I wouldn't be opening any packages marked as from the CIA anytime soon. <laughs> Ooh, cigars from Illinois. <laughs> that well-known part of the cigar-making industry. Mm -mm -mm. Castro recommended these. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> the Chicago Iron Ore Association. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, in uh, Israel is uh, looking ahead now to its fifth election in three years after uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett dissolved Parliament. Um, his fragile coalition of not one ideologically incompatible party, which is essentially <laughs> what we have in this country, not <laughs> even two of them, not three, but eight 
eight ideological eight ideologically incompatible parties. Uh, that's collapsed, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, I mean, that's that seems too many incompatible parties to be in one coalition. Um, he's been in power uh, for uh, a year, um, but has had to deal with this eight-pronged coalition and a hugely uncooperative opposition, some of whose members were recorded as saying that they would vote against anything if it helped bring down <laughs> Bennett's government, even legislation to support the disabled and victims of gender violence. Good one, democracy. That is exactly how you're supposed to work. So essentially, Bennett's government could have tried to pass a bill saying that children should not be forced to eat each other at school, and uh, Likud, the party of uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu, would not only have voted against it, but would also have sent truckloads of ketchup and mayonnaise to all schools labelled with the words best served with raw child um <laughs> that was marcus rashford's initial plan i think wasn't it and then he had to be talked down to something a bit softer <laughs> so we could we could be about to see a comeback for the um shall we say corruption tainted um netanyahu tainted is not quite strong enough he's fully painted in it he's absolutely he's dipped himself like a member if- of the blue man group in pure corruption paint yeah if t- if by tainted you mean immersed <laughs> I can't believe it lasted a year. Eight ideologically disparate parties. Eight entities who thought entirely differently to each other. Like Snow White and the Dwarves could only make one film and they got on. <laughs> There's only 120 MPs, by the way. Eight different groups. And then the opposition. <laughs> Have you seen the colour coding of the Knesset? It looks it looks like Jackson Pollock just spat up Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many colours. It's amazing. <laughs> Joe Listen, Biden was there in July, and he like it was due there in July, and he he's just cycled his bike into a tree to get out of that. <laughs> he's just like I'm not going. No. <laughs> Espionage news now, and um, uh, uh, Neil, you are um, the Bugles uh, spike. Oh shit! I shouldn't have said that out loud, should I? No. Um, oh, d- d- damn it! Oh, At least you pub- used my code name. That's public domain now. Um, uh, Andy, I genuinely thought you'd made a mistake there. You're an <laughs> underrated actor. <laughs> either, either that, or you consistently make a lot of mistakes that Chris has to edit out of Bugle, and I found it completely plausible. Let me know the answer to this one. <laughs> Um, uh, you are the Bugles espionage correspondent. Um, sensational story involving a Russian spy pretending to be Brazilian for t- <laughs> over 10 years to try to sneak his way into the International Criminal Court. Uh, you, I mean, you've got to admire this, uh, even though it failed on day one. I mean, 10 years building up a false ID that then fails on your first day in the job that you tried to get into with your fake ID. I mean, that's plenty to work on for your next spy gig, I guess. But it's a sensational story, this. Yeah, he went to Trinity College for four years, got a degree, then went to the US and studied there, got a degree, and day one, he failed. Uh, it's, not, it's not exactly the born identity, is it? It's when you're just having a chat with your fellow GRU officers. What did you do, lads? Well, I, I planted explosives behind enemy lines for the illegal occupation of Crimea. And what did you do? Same, yeah, same, uh, but not really Crimea. It was Dublin, and the explosives were, you know, Jaeger bombs. But, I mean... <laughs> It was great crack. One of the other students in his class said, by the way, he couldn't speak Portuguese. So the line in his legend was, he forgot how to speak Portuguese. (laughs) He didn't even learn Portuguese. Yeah, one of the other students in his class said, he kept himself to himself and he didn't say much. 
So basically, he's hanging around Trinity College, not saying anything. So his cover is Connell from Normal People. That was that's <laughs> the extent of the research he's done on this, uh, and he got away with it for for years. But I mean, it is quite difficult to find. You know, if your friend is a spy um, or your spouse is a Russian spy rather than Brazilian. So I would suggest you just kind of test them every so often. So like um, just bring up in conversation stuff like it's like and see if they reveal stuff about themselves. Victor, you know, uh, who would win in a fight, would you say, between Pele and a bear? (laughs) <laughs> and see what he says that what's your favourite religious landmark it's got to be Christ the Redeemer right right oh Salzburg Cathedral oh controversial <laughs> and then you leave like unseasoned chicken out and then before you put it in the oven you say I'm putting this in like this and if they put um, temper bioano on it Brazilian Novichok Russian spy <laughs> and then if none of that is out of them shave your pubic hair into a narrow strip <laughs> and then present it to him and if he goes I see you've got a Transnistrian done <laughs> Russian spy no one calls it Transnistrian clearly a Russian spy <laughs> the details that he came up with for his backstory are absolutely spectacular uh, he he <laughs> He claimed that at school, uh, his fellow pupils used to joke about his looks and accent and call him gringo, which is why he did not have uh, many friends. He also tried to claim that he hates fish, contrary to most other Brazilian people, because he disliked the stench of fish from a port near his home where he grew up. And he also claimed that he had a real and honest crush on his school geography teacher. Now, this... Daniel Day-Lewis does more prep for his roles. <laughs> this guy's background details are so weird. I think, obviously, the logic in his head is he's like, well, I'll try and say something really strange so that it'll just... But it just sounds made up as f-. Like, he may as well have said, oh, the thing about me is that uh, I absolutely love yellow and green. <laughs> <laughs> because of the Brazilian flag, I am Brazilian. <laughs> I would love if that's how the Dutch police and the Duchess uh, <laughs> equivalent of the CIA said it to him. Frankly, this uh, sounds made up as f- <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I mean, his, I mean, it was, he, you know, his cover stories, he said, had certain holes in it, although apparently he did, whenever playing football, you know, as soon as there was a free kick within 50 yards of goal, line it up saying, I can definitely stick this one in the top corner. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't totally w- without merit. <laughs> so, what would you put in your, um, in your, in your, you know, spy oh, listen, legend when you go undercover? I, if I needed to pretend to be a Brazilian, Andy, I don't have to look very far. First of all, I've been, se- on, uh, I've been confused on several occasions for a Brazilian by racist. Second... <laughs> Secondly, last week at Tuesday Football, I absolutely Roberto Carlos one in with the outside of my right foot. It was a banana shot. And just because you weren't there, you happen right. to not be there, Andy, doesn't mean I'm making this shit up. Right. Now, I mean, I have seen you play football numerous times, Nish, yeah. and it does sound like you are making that shit up. <laughs> just based I, I... on a wealth of evidence and the laws of probability. Probability... Biology, physics. <laughs> this is absolute horseshit. Statistics. I think we all know if you did anything as a Brazilian footballer, it was Rivaldo. Somebody went near you and you fell on the ground <laughs> holding your face. This is horseshit from a pair of no offense cuts. <laughs> <laughs> I scored a real and honest Roberto Carlos style free kick. I feel that your your spy training lacked a little bit you know, in the interrogation module, if we slightly poked fun at your abilities and you called the two investigating officers, 
<laughs> I mean, it should it should be in the next lane of duty. <laughs> that's, that, that's just my that's just my hot Latin temper. Uh, bursting well, to fairness, the surface. You have to be questioned by a of higher rank, and both <laughs> I and Andy fulfil that particular remit. <laughs> Strikes news and well, strike moment. one, <laughs> strike one, strike two, and possibly indeed strike three. Uh, there's an increasing sense that the United Kingdom is um, progressing its uh, national post-imperial dotage status from fumbling via bumbling to outright crumbling. Um, we're in the middle of a kind of slow motion self-defenestration that yeah. will end, I think, as most of those early defenestrations did, by landing in a huge pile of shit. And uh, this week. To add to all the uh, other issues uh, at large uh, in the country at the moment, prices going up at the fastest rate for 40 years, the government's ceaseless quest to remove all hope, truth and dignity from public life and the willful fracturing of the nation and its society that is the price of Boris Johnson fulfilling his childhood dream of being the shittest Churchill impersonator on the circuit. (laughs) Well, this week we are entering Strikesville. There are rail strikes this week. Three full-day strikes have been called this week, the biggest rail strikes in 30 years that brought the nation to a standstill stroke to sitting uh, on the sofa in its underwear uh, watching daytime TV yesterday because it couldn't get to work. Um, uh, We are in strange times, Nish. Uh, I can't remember there being such a sort of breadth and range of dissatisfaction uh, at large in in this country for a very, very long time. (laughs) Listen, Andrew... We're back in the 1970s. <laughs> Rail strikes. Kate Bush is back at the top of the charts. It's it, it does. It's all starting to seem a bit like Kate Bush cast a magical spell to take us back to the 1970s. She did it via the medium of her song "Running Up That Hill," appearing in the Netflix show "Stranger Things." But either way, we've ended up back in the 1970s. And if you think that's implausible, ask yourself this honestly: Can you honestly say you don't think Kate Bush has magical powers? No, you f***ing can't, okay? She's some sort of weird witch and she's dragged us back into the 70s. Yes, the entire country at this point is basically It's very difficult to talk about this without screaming the word c***t. And so I'm going to do my absolute level best uh, to do this. Uh, The cost of living crisis has kind of swept through the entire country. The RMT unions are not even asking for a pay increase commensurate with inflation, right? It's a pay increase that would not meet inflation. And yet the government is refusing to engage and the government is now actively trying to blame the unions and the Labour Party, which has, in keeping with the current Labour leadership, refused to take a position on the strikes. Whatever you think about that decision, it means that the Labour Party cannot itself be blamed for the strikes. But the government is blaming everyone other than itself for this. Boris Johnson is treating these strikes like one of his own children and that he's tacitly refusing to accept responsibility in spite of all of the overwhelming evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Well, there's some some extraordinary things have been said said about it. Uh, Tobias Elwood, a conservative politician, um, said uh, that the rail strikers were Putin's friend. (laughs) Because <laughs> they're distracting the government from the Ukraine crisis. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there is no end to what, yeah, what the Ukraine card can be played with in British politics. It's um, absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I, to an I, extent, well, I think you know when when British tennis players lose at Wimbledon <laughs> next week, they're going to say, "Well, oh, yeah, Ukraine." I can't, can't, couldn't think of my backhand. 
<laughs> spread out from politics into everything else. I'm going to scroll the word Ukraine on my tax return this year and just hand that in. I'm just going to hand in my tax return with just the word Ukraine written on the front of it and give it in to them. I, I love the fact that Network Rail seems surprised by this. Like, you're offering 3%, the union is asking for 7%, the railway workers, they mind the gap. <laughs> that's, that's literally their job and, like travel was difficult the buses were rammed um, the traffic was awful uh, nobody got to Hogwarts it's getting heated now I saw one worker call Thomas the Tank Engine a f***ing scab so it's, it's getting to a point where you know there's a lot of tension uh, the A levels are on one of the maths questions was if a train isn't leaving Birmingham at 1pm travelling north and another train isn't leaving Edinburgh travelling south uh, how do I get home so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like Boris Johnson has said that he's going to be in this for the long haul do you think he genuinely has full cabinet approval for all the government's approach to this because he criticised the railway workers for having a 19th century uh, practices approach at which point, surely Jacob Rees-Mogg went, well, let's not be too hasty here. <laughs> let's let's not let Nanny throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's just have an early night and, and agree to telegram each other on the morrow. Let's just see how it goes. <laughs> but, but for Jacob Rees-Mogg, a 19th century approach reeks of pandering to modernism. <laughs> At the same time, though, there are pay rises for some sectors. Billionaires have seen their pay go up 9.4% year on year. Um, so you can see why lower down the economic food chain, people who can't afford to buy that crucial fifth private helicopter or to buy an 18th century warship to submit as their kids' show and tell for school or to hire Vin Diesel to act as their bodyguard for the next five years to make life seem more like a movie. You can feel why people who can't afford those things might think they're due a slightly larger slice of the half-digested remnants of the leftover pie. Why aren't you just admitting what happened in 2010 that has caused all this? <laughs> Why aren't you saying that the reason that there was a fall in people's living standards was because of the Icelandic volcanic ash cloud? <laughs> Why would you admit that? I got an email from Tory party headquarters today and they said that's what it is. Neil, I find this very offensive. I think what you'll find is that in 2010, David Cameron was very worried about Ukraine. He was very worried <laughs> he saw about that the thought. He saw it coming, and so he wasn't really able to focus on things like making sure inequality didn't run riot. The Conservative Party is and has always been very... That's why Suez happened. <laughs> the Profumo affair was just as a result of Tory HQ having its eye on the potential war in Ukraine in 2022. God, sorry, Suez. I thought Suez was your new nickname for Suella Braverman. I just thought, <laughs> wow, she's got, she's gone real street, hasn't she? <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Um, uh, Neil, Nish, uh, thank you very much. As always, do you have shows or other works that you would like to plug to our listeners? Uh, I'm finishing my tour uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, on dates that are uh, Augusty? available bit to Augusty, me. Augusty, uh, bit Augusty, bit yeah. Augusty. Bit, bit Augusty, twenty uh, second of August uh, until the twenty eighth of August uh, at the Assembly in George Square uh, at the Edinburgh. Fr- I too am doing the Assembly um, for Edinburgh. I'm doing the last twelve dates, um, and I have a new podcast. It's called Why Would You Tell Me That? Where myself and my friend uh, get experts on about the weirdest things we can possibly talk about that interest us. So we've done the Norwegian Sovereign and Wealth Fund. We've done the Myers Suriname Toad and we've done the Mwaswa people who live in China who live in a matrilineal society and we've done Ooh. Tulip Mania as well 17th century first 
Dutch speculative acid bubble. So all sorts of mad stuff wherever you go. Uh, thank you for listening, uh, Buglers. I have to go and watch some cricket for the next five days. Uh, we have a week off the Bugle next week. We will put out a sub-episode full of uh, delectable uh, delights. And then we will return in a couple of weeks to see what the f*** is going on in July. Until then, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.